Welcome to the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Sonia Sambi, a correspondent at Eco Business. What are the implications of a world designed and built by men and for men? On the flip side, what are the technologies available that center the needs of women and why should we care about them? From seatbelts to the social media platform Facebook, the technologies around us that overlook the needs of women could end up threatening the comfort and even safety of half the world's population. On today's show, we're going to talk about the dangers of gender bias in design, the importance of technologies that center women's needs, and how big this market has actually grown over the past couple of years. Joining today's podcast is Ananya Chandra, founder and CEO of Women Prosperity Lab, an ecosystem enabler that accelerates and invests in technologies for women. Hi, Sonia. Thank you for having me. First of all, could you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do with Women Prosperity Lab? I've spent the last decade in the innovation space, and I set up and co-founded a company that was eventually a digital health company that was at the intersection of providing behavior lifestyle modification tools through the smartphone for users like you and me. Um, and you know, just to simplify that, in essence, it was designed for people like me who are the laziest people ever. <laughs> <laughs> and we also worked, on the other hand, um, we worked with insurance companies to bring this as a tool to millions of Indians. Anyhow, so you know, I've been an entrepreneur, built, scaled, sold that company in 2016. And since then, you know, I've done a couple of things. I headed expansion for India's largest women tech startup. Uh, and we'll be coming to how I define women tech, I'm sure, a little later. But the startup's name is Shiro's, and it basically has built the Facebook for Indian women. And uh, they're doing many more interesting things now. From 2018 to 2020, I was with Agni, which is the government of India's technology commercialization program where we had the mandate to take all this rich Indian intellectual property that's lying with startups and with Indian Academia and help commercialize it, scale it, and you know, basically put India on the map uh, as a deep tech player. What I do now, uh, so since last year, I've launched an initiative called Women Prosperity Lab, which you know, we describe as an ecosystem enabler um, and our focus is on technologies that are being designed for or catering to a large cohort of female users. And then we also have an investment arm called Inopact. And Inopact is actually an early stage investor in these technologies. And yeah, I'll stop there and I'll, I'm happy to you know, go in deeper about the kind of firms we're investing in. There's so much there to unpack and I'd like to dive into all of that slowly. But first of all, could you explain what you mean by women tech? You mentioned that earlier. Um, <laughs> so, you know, women tech uh, is, is, some may laugh, you know, it's another buzzy name. And, you know, the thing is, it is. And I think it's, an, I think it's important to create buzz around the women market opportunity. So women tech is the term that captures the opportunity, which is technologies for women irrespective of the sector it's in. So it's, it's you know, women tech covers female-focused technologies in healthcare, finance, consumer internet, so on and so forth. So for instance, if we're talking about, let's say, the, the latest buzzword to come out is femtech. So femtech is basically technologies 
you know, catering to women's health. So anything in the health and wellness space that is built for women's needs um, or, you know, or even like has a large cohort of female users and has been designed consciously for, for female customers um, in the healthcare space is, has been given the term femtech and it was coined by this entrepreneur who had a period tracking app. And when she went <laughs> to pitch her startup, um, she found that she was pitching and trying to raise money for this in a world which is dominated by men. You know, that is like, you know, 80% of, you know, VCs are men today. And so, you know, she found, um, and she says this jokingly, I heard her talk once and she, I, I don't know whether she meant, is that why she came up with the term, but I, it really uh, struck a chord because she said that, you know, it's, I realized by using femtech, it's so much easier for these venture capitalists to say, oh, I have like four femtech companies in my portfolio, rather than talking about, I have like four companies that help women manage their menstruation, uh, so on and so forth. So, you know, I mean, that, that's why femtech was coined. And women tech, the term, takes the opportunity for women's health beyond just women's health and transplants it into, okay, what are women's differentiated, underserved customer needs today in the financial services space? Um, Similarly, in the insurance market, where you know insurance is severely and significantly underpenetrated amongst women across Asia, um, and then you know in the consumer internet space, similar you know from all the apps, the entire internet was not designed by or for women, um, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and you know, and then the last kind of vertical, you know, is also the consumer product space. Um, and you, you know, the consumer product space is really interesting. Like, have cars actually been designed? You know, keeping in mind women's needs, or you know, why haven't we seen any extensive innovation in the menstruation product space? I think it's only in the last five to ten years that there's been a sudden amount of interest in things like period panties and menstruation cups. Yeah, and I, I came across a book called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. And I think that is a really important book for our conversation today because it does set the foundation for gender bias in design. When I was reading um, on all these different examples about how technology has been designed for men and not women, and it as you've mentioned, it falls down all the way to the seat belts in cars and that affects our safety and our experiences in this world. So yeah, I think this is a really important um, topic to talk about. That's such a great example because, you know, until recently, all the tests done on, you know, for is your seatbelt, you know, safe for you, uh, was only done mostly on men, you know, so... Absolutely. It's it's a life and death matter. Sometimes. And yeah, I wanted to ask, how big is the current market for women tech? You mentioned that it's only grown over the last decade or so. Yeah. So, you know, I feel that women as a customer segment have long been recognized by certain industries. You know, when you type tech for women or you try to look into this space on Google, you, you'll come across a lot of literature that's on how to market well to women, you know. Like, you know, your marketing is not working for women. This is 10 things you need to know about how to market to women. I think there's been this understanding that, okay, you know, we should target, we should reach out to women customers, but it typically comes at the end of the product development cycle at the marketing stage. I think that you'll often see this, right? When Dell, you know, and Donkey's years ago introduced um, its laptop, it, it's tried to target a laptop towards the female customer market um, by making it smaller than their average laptop and 
coloring it pink. And that's it. <laughs> you know, to better understand the women tech opportunity and the size of it, um, you know, we've got 3.8 billion people who are women who identify as women today. And we have social structures across many different societies um, don't include women in the decision-making product process of how that product will be designed because there aren't enough women tech engineers and business women, you know, and even in the marketing space, you know, how do you actually understand women's needs? I mean, these are all processes that are driven by uh, environments that are male focused and male dominated. Um, to understand the women tech opportunity, you know, let's take a look at one of its best known segments, which is femtech, which is technologies for women's health. You know, I mean, now when people talk about the femtech space, um, you know, there have been reports that it's actually going to cross $25 billion as a market uh, by 2025. So we're just talking about in four years time, it's going to be a $25 billion market. And that's just the health part of it. That sounds like such a huge opportunity for femtech. But I'm wondering what about the other aspects of women tech, for example, fintech? An upcoming segment of technologies that are getting venture capital attention are those that are paying attention to um, female-focused fintech. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of excitement and so much activity, and I'd be very glad to, let, let, you know, just to quickly share. So, for instance, you know, a, the most common example of a female-focused fintech venture that I've seen in the last year alone um, has been this idea of creating new banks for women. Um, you know, these traditional conventional financial products don't cater to our real needs as women. And secondly, the way we distribute these financial products, either through, you know, a physical branch network or, you know, through agents, they're not really meeting where women are and they're not providing these services to um, women with any kind of empathy to their financial needs. Trust and empathy are absolute pillars in creating a successful neobank for women. Um, and there are a lot of reasons, right, Sonia? Like a lot of women are very aspirational. They're taking huge risks to set up their own company and, you know, go out into the workplace perhaps for the first time. Or, you know, just they don't have as many role models available to them as your typical male would. And that's just the reality. And that reality will soon change, one hopes. But the reality today is that a lot of these women are having to navigate uh, the financial services system, um, you know, in a very tenuous manner, it wasn't built for their needs. Opening of bank accounts, um, taking a home loan, taking a business loan, these are daily challenges that, you know, women, and particularly I'm talking about women in Asia, um, South Asia and Southeast Asia, that we are facing. Um, and so that's another huge opportunity. It's harder to quantify at the moment, um, just because in a lot of countries, we don't get that kind of data that is gender disaggregated. That is, you know, I, that we identify, you know, that, okay, we're collecting these data points and this is divided by men and women. Yeah, so you're saying that all these new technologies or these new companies are coming up with solutions for women, but some of them still seem to have a superficial understanding of women's needs. So how do you distinguish or what are some of the criteria that you look out for when you're thinking about what to invest in? I think the most important question from a women tech investor's perspective is how are you thinking about your female customers? Are you thinking of them as just this one female customer segment you know, like, oh, we're going to reach out to women by doing this. I That's an immediate red flag for me because, 
you have not identified what's the women customers need and which female customer are you going after? Um, you know, are you going after women who have children, who are in a job? And what is the real need? Have you spoken to female customers or have a distinctive insight into the need you're solving for them. What we want to know as investors is at what point do they become so motivated to meet that need that they're going to download or use or reach out to you and then pay money <laughs> to use your solution? What is that need that's driving them? And I think that will be helpful if all entrepreneurs gave that good thought, not only for their female customer segments, but all. That's such an important question to ask. And it's such a basic question that I, I can't help but wonder why is it overlooked. And yeah, are there any interesting examples of women tech that you would like to share? Or what kind of technologies does Women Prosperity Lab invest in specifically? A company which we are currently leading the round for um, is called Shiro's Money, which um, is, as I said earlier, it's a new bank for women. And it's recognized the need that there are you know, so many women in India who have their own business. So they, they want access to capital to be able to grow their business. And, you know, they don't perhaps and not always have businesses that a VC might be interested in. But at the same time, they don't have collateral that they can offer to the bank to get a business loan from the bank. And so they're kind of stuck in the middle. They don't have access to any kind of capital. Um, you know, property is not in their name. Um, they you know, don't have access to kind of asking friends and family for your initial starting money. And then there are a lot of women who want access to a personal loan so they can buy a two-wheeler like a motorbike uh, and get to college uh, without going in the public transport system and getting harassed. And, you know, it's much longer. Um, and so, you know, there's these, all these amazing aspirational women across India. And it's not just a few, it's not just a handful the customer segment is in the millions. There is a very high willingness to pay. Like they want to interact with some financial service provider who will understand them, understand their needs and be empathetic towards where they are. I've always said this, but you know, there's actually hardcore research to back it. Women are much better uh, banking customers than your average. They return, you know, they pay their loans on time. If you're able to cater to their needs, they are loyal to your brand for much longer. The kind of companies that we look at, uh, I would say uh, in the technology space, we look, we're sector agnostic. So we look at a variety of companies where I'm actually evaluating a gaming startup at the moment. So this is a, this is a startup that is developing uh, games uh, for the female demographic. And, you know, that's a huge demographic. I think on last count, 40% of gamers across the world are women. Are their gaming habits very different from men? I can give an example of, so there's this gaming company in Japan called Koli Inc., which, like this other startup, has built games for women. And they actually uh, IPO'd earlier this year. So, And the funny thing is that when they went public, it was the hottest IPO on Japan stock exchange through that, you know, until like April. And in terms of the question of, okay, but you know, what are the needs of female gamers? For instance, Koli Inc., um, their games are not so much about competing, interestingly enough. It's not about competing, but being immersed in an experience. So there are stories in their games and you follow and you uncover story plots and you collaborate uh, with other gamers I think that similarly, you know, 
I mean, would all women like those games over competitive games? Absolutely not. That's not, that's really not what's what one is saying. But I think what both Koli Inc. and this startup is based in Israel are doing is that they're speaking to female gamers who were traditionally not interviewed or not considered. You know, when you designed your latest game, you, you thought of men. Um, and, and a lot of gaming companies and studios have just designed for that demographic. So I think this finally female gamers and you know, speaking to them and understanding their likes and dislikes is now being discovered. And then in the consumer internet space, I think it gets really interesting. So um, I worked for a company, as I said earlier, called Shiro's, which is building basically the Facebook for women. Um, and they have now over 22 million users um, that, and like about 400,000 of those users are active on a monthly basis. And they're seeing like, you know, insane engagement rates. Bumble as a dating app is a, a terrific example of women tech because the founder in her um, filings for the IPO, I came across this paragraph where she talks about, you know, we've flipped the switch on kind of what it means to date. And we're looking at things from, you know, the woman's perspective. So, you know, features like in Bumble where only the woman can initiate, make the first move kind of goes against what we've learned or kind of what we've been socialized, right? Uh, right. Since we're like, you know, it's the guy who should make the first move and the woman should act coy and all of those things. And that they're really, they really should not be there um, if we're looking for equality. And I think Bumble really flips the script on that, on, on the dating script, at least uh, quite successfully. You know, we're empowering women with products and services and solutions that work for them. You, you know, you talked about the book, Invisible Woman, Women. And I think it's a terrific book. And I think the biggest part thing about that is that women are no longer invisible. So, you know, most of the clinical studies up to the 90s was primarily done on male bodies. Like there was a study on uterus cancer and only women have a uterus, but there were no females in that study. <laughs> That's hilarious. How did they get any results at all? We see that now and say, how could this have happened? Um, and that's that's the thing. We've made a lot of progress. And I think that um, I think Women Prosperity Lab and in general, I think a lot of people are waking up to the this idea that, thing, you know, there's change afoot. That's such an optimistic note to go on. And I do want to ask, in an ideal world, would we have technologies that are designed and suitable for all genders? Um, you know, I hope in five years time, I don't even need to have a women prosperity lab because we already have so much understanding on the need for catering to women. That's my, that is my genuine hope, um, you know, that we, that this need is automatically assumed. And, and when you, when somebody goes and pitches a solution that caters to that need, they're not disbelieved. And I'm guessing what we need for that to happen is more women engineers and designers being in a decision-making room, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there is an indelible link between um, more technologies for women and having more women design those technologies. A couple of years ago, this lady had, um, she had a breast tumor, so she got the tumor removed. The entire dressing process, right, for the wound to heal was pretty inhumane you know there was just nothing available like women have to wear bras they have to move around and it was very inconvenient for her and she realized like this isn't like a pernicious thing that nobody thought about women who have these surgeries it's just that most men were doctors right 
and the healthcare industry, like many other industries, is dominated by men. So they didn't really understand the pain and the humiliation in the way dressings take place. So she went on, uh, Ifrat Rama, uh, went on to found a company called Easy Bra, um, which is designed for you know post-op care. So it's all full circle. So absolutely, I think there's there's a win-win in supporting more women founders, more women in tech. Um, and more tech, tech for women. That's such a great point that the domino effect starts from supporting women founders. So the last question I have for you is, do you have any words of advice for people interested in this women tech space? I think people in the women tech space kind of you normally approach this space from you know three points of view. Um, you know, the first viewpoint is that of the startup entrepreneur who is looking to make a large scale impact while pursuing you know, profitability. We are at an inflection point today. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, the next three to five years, there's going to be an explosion of funding and activity um, in going after these opportunities where you have a large, you know, customer base, you have high willingness to pay, you have deep dissatisfaction with the status quo. So to those entrepreneurs, I would absolutely, you know, say, Look at whichever sector you're interested in, from financial services to healthcare to you know building a dating app also, and and try to understand not what women want, but what different categories of female customers are seeking and then understanding. Second category of person in the women tech space is an entrepreneur who's already has a startup. You should be collecting data on how their customers are using their solution. You should be looking at it from different perspectives. Don't put a you know veil and just look at what how your customers are acting. Collect data in a gender disaggregated manner. You know most startups don't do this, um, and you know, really understand how you can cater to your female customers better. Especially if you are a male founder, you should look out for your biases. Uh, and then the third uh, kind of person in the women tech space is an investor. <laughs> And, you know, on this point, I always say I'm an accidental, I was an accidental entrepreneur. I really wanted to solve a problem and I couldn't see how else to do it other than really starting a company to do it. And I say I'm an accidental investor now because I want to put, you know, money where my mouth is. If I'm talking about how great this opportunity in women tech is, I want to have skin in the game. And so that's why I invest. And I think for investors, my word of advice would be that I think that most VCs operate on the basis of pattern matching, like they see, you know, in all sorts of patterns, maybe a similar business has done really well in another market, um, or, you know, this entrepreneur has done a great business before. So, you know, she is a serial entrepreneur or some sort of, they look for some sort of pattern and, you know, for social proof. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs and startup propositions that can sometimes be difficult. Femtech, it's getting a lot of money um, in the early stage space, but there haven't been enough exits. And I think that's what holds a lot of uh, VCs back into going into this space. They keep waiting for, okay, let, let's let, at least let there be two, three big exits so we can actually understand and appreciate this opportunity. And I would encourage them to evaluate the opportunity without the pattern matching, because I think that Pattern matching is not the only way uh, to decide on the size of the opportunity. I think that the women tech market, the women's market is so huge. There's no point in waiting around 
for like your you know one billion dollar exit okay i think this is a good place to end our conversation today ananya thank you so much for joining the eco business podcast thank you so much for having me really enjoyed it this podcast was hosted by eco business asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com. Follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.